welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history taken from the definitive AEW match guide that's ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice and make sure you check out all of the other great shows we have on the Social Suplex podcast network that cover all aspects of the world of professional wrestling. My guests for today are the creators of the This Is Awesome and the All About All Elite podcasts, Frank, Charlie, and Joaquin. And we'll be looking at Kenny Omega versus John Moxley at Revolution 2021, the AEW Heavyweight Championship exploding barbed wire death match. How are you going today, gentlemen? Uh, well, I, I'm, you, you kind of sent me a little bit. You, you, you said 2021, and I had to remember, I was like, there's no way this match was from this year. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember this happening this year, uh, but I, I did rewatch it today, and, and I, I have confirmed that it is, in fact, this year. I'll take your word for it. I don't. I don't know. I just that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, we're just, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but it is jarring to go back to Daly's place. Yeah, I don't want to go it, back. <laughs> it was strange, and and going without uh, because doing this project, you guys are about the tenth episode or so that that we'll be doing, and going back and seeing this partial crowds atmosphere it's really jarring and very strange to sort of go back and relive um just so the guys know who each voice is if i could just get each of you to to briefly say who you are sure i'll go uh, first I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead frank yeah uh, go do it yeah I'll, I'll fucking do it uh <laughs> uh hi I'm, I'm i'm frank gibson uh i am one part of the this is awesome uh podcast crew i'm joaquin poblete i am the second of the this is awesome podcast crew i am based out of los angeles and uh, you know I, I work in the industry but nobody cares about that I, I like wrestling and talking about wrestling and for some reason sometimes people do that on the internet so thanks to everybody who does that that's true i, I i'm your uh, last co-host for this is awesome pod uh charlie and tosca they call me chuck uh, i am also based out of los angeles i am a writer like frank you know we have, it's a very diverse group here we've got um <laughs> And yeah, I'm excited to talk about this match, man. I I'm, I rewatched this, and it's like, I I had fe- I had thoughts, thoughts and feelings. This is I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a lot there's a lot going on in this one, uh, of varying degrees of good and bad. And there's a part, okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna set up a reveal for later in the episode. Uh, okay. There's a part of this match that is the worst part of this match. And it isn't the explosion at the end. Oh, hot no. take. Interesting. I love it. I'm yeah. keen to find out what part that is. Before we do get into the match, uh, I do want to thank you guys for jumping on here and also give you a special thanks because I've essentially lifted the idea for this podcast from your podcast, This Is Awesome, which uh, if yeah. people have heard, All right. you should definitely Derivative works. Out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Inspired by. <laughs> that's um, awesome. But, that, that's great. I'm glad you've been doing it while we've been off too. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, hopefully I can like kickstart you guys back on the track for that. But also for for those of you who don't know these three, they are actually the creators of the first ever AEW podcast, as certified by the Young Bucks as well. That's right. Um, that's yeah. Right. So, 
Yeah, that tweet's so, only a screenshot now, unfortunately, because they deleted, yeah, they deleted all their it. Tweets. Yeah, watching the elite. We are the OG AEW podcast. Yeah, yeah I was granddad of them all. Can you can you tell the good people how you guys did get into AEW and how you created the first ever AEW podcast? It was it's Joaquin's fault. fault. You should probably do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, oh, okay. So we're, we're uh, as we said, we're all based out of Los Angeles, and you know, this podcast, our original podcast, really just came from being a group of friends that was super into pro wrestling, but specifically because we all lived in the same apartment complex and realized that this would be a fun thing to do on, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays and uh, Thursdays and Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, <laughs> Tuesdays as well. But we, we, we all kind of rekindled our love of wrestling around the same time. I think it was like Summer of Punk, the Yes Movement, yeah. all that stuff. And yeah. and during that time, it just so happened to be that just loaded PWG 2000 you know, 13 to 2016 roster, which is basically making up the main event scene of every reputable promotion now. And it was just it was just a thing we did as a crew. We, we loved going to those shows and we loved booing and cheering for the Young Bucks very, very specifically. And yeah, but uh, the Young Bucks was the was the the chorus of uh, Reseda, California at the time when PWG wasn't in a nice theater. When you could still buy tickets at the door for the <laughs> for the first few PWG shows that we went to together, like Chuck, you've been around for a while longer, so you'd 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 seen the Bucks at like fairgrounds and stuff like that, like in Pomona. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, Anaheim Marketplace, the flea market, like that 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 whole like kind of SoCal crew has been wrestling in and around like much jankier places since like 2003. Yeah. I've got like a vague sense memory of like a 120 pound Scorpio Sky jumping off a ladder in the back of a flea market in like 2004. Or so, yeah. Whereas um, I saw like Frankie Kazarian yeah, like wrestle for like the first time at like WWA while wrestling All Stars, which was like a Australian promotion that turned out to be a front for a a, a cocaine smuggler. <laughs> oh, um, oh. Yeah, like oh. they brought down Frankie Kazarian to New Zealand. So, and like Amazing. Sting was there too. He didn't wrestle. He was just somehow. like there. Yeah, yeah. Like, so like, uh, like but, we, I think we all collectively felt a connection with like a lot of these guys um, from just yeah. seeing like the early stages of their careers. And then like, and then, and then obviously up. they, they started, you know, they, they were going to do all in. And so as a build up to all in, we thought it would be a really good idea to essentially binge the entirety of being the elite. Um, and so that was the impetus of the original, the Watching the Elite podcast. It started off as binging BTE to get people ready for All In, and then we just kind of kept doing it. And and it turns yeah. out that like we we became well, the first AEW podcast backwards. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, it was well, well, the curse to fucking Chuck and I to keep it going once it went like once the, it went live. And what the, that yes. was the funniest thing about it, too, is like I do very specifically remember saying like this will be a fun thing. We'll get really excited about, you know, going all in because it was this trip we had planned. It was actually my birthday. All in was my birthday a couple of years ago. It was like one of the best birthdays I've ever had. And we didn't see it going where it was where it went, which is silly because uh, I don't know. It's, it's like Bill Gates for seeing the pandemic. Daniel Bryan foresaw AEW. We've all seen that clip. We were too dumb to see that coming. So, of course, we started this podcast. And 
I just very specifically remember the the being the elite where they revealed AEW existing. It was like New Year's. I was at a New Year's party and I literally went into a closet to watch that. And I remember thinking, damn it, now we're going to have to cover so much more content. <laughs> every oh, week. dude, there's like a point where you had us watching Shot of Brandy like every week. Yeah. <laughs> Brandy. Well, there's, Brandy. there are now Brandy. literally thousands of AEW podcasts, of which this is one, but there can only be one first. And I'm happy to declare you guys the first. So <laughs> thank, thank you yes. so much. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. You know what? Yeah. I, I, well, We'll get the we'll get the tweet because uh, we were tweeted out by I, I think it was it was Matt tweeted it from the official account uh, which was very funny because me and Chuck were joking around about the we were like did they listen to the show because <laughs> we make certain jokes we don't know that they would agree with but they tweeted us out but it's been since deleted in the great purge of their uh, Twitter account but uh, I have yeah. a screenshot so it's verifiable. Look, I, I was there. I'll verify it for you. That was that was something that happened. <laughs> um, getting into the match, um, because we do pick one match every oh, week right. and dig into it. Uh, and we are picking John Moxley versus Kenny Omega. I, I do have a question. Why did you guys choose this match? This isn't a match that is... Well, this, let's just say this was a controversial match at the time. And I'm curious why you guys chose to pick this one, given the list of options that was in front of you. I, I, I for me, I'll just I'll speak for myself. I just I found it the most interesting because of the the, the sort of controversial ending, right? There are a lot of people yep. uh, in the Russellgencia that essentially write off this entire match simply because of what happens in the final moments, which isn't even the actual match, by the way. It's like five minutes after the match ends, and and I think it does a disservice to what is a really inventive and interesting twist on the death match. You know, it's it's a it's a uh, a gimmick that we hadn't seen in North America t- to date. There's a lot of really inventive stuff in here. It's maybe a little too violent for many people's tastes, but there's a time and a place for it, and and it works here. And and I just I think it's important to keep talking about it so people don't just write it off because of the the fart at the end of the match. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's like a pandemic era uh, match, and I understand that you're probably covering like a lot of pandemic era stuff like throughout your show, but this is like. They let a smattering of people in for this one. Like yep. there's there's like a few hundred people, I believe, in the crowd for Revolution. But like all the pandemic stuff, I feel like it isn't going to be remembered. Like everyone's just going to feel like it was like filler that succeeded in spite of its circumstances. And right. like, I think this is a great match. I don't want people to forget it, except for the one thing that I said earlier but we'll, we'll get to it okay well we'll get to that eventually at some point i'm sure it's it's interesting to relitigate some of these matches like a, a few weeks ago um with one of my friends the implication i did blood and guts and that of mm. course had a similar similar sort of thing to to this match so looking forward to getting into it now as we always do here we give the match its flowers Big Papa Dave, um, he rated this 4.5 <laughs> of the big ones. At Cage Match, they've currently got it rated at 7.62. And in the definitive match guide that was put together just after Double or Nothing 2021, so not so far after this match, it came in 15th uh, on the list of 50. Uh, of course, this is a match that was built from the very start of AEW. And for me, at least, it felt like these two within the first 18 months of the promotion were the two biggest names, and this was the biggest rivalry the company had ever had. Moxley, of course, he debuted at Double or Nothing 
just attacking everyone after the final match had finished. And the show went off the air with Omega and Moxley brawling. And of course, Moxley standing tall on that stack of chips. Uh, now, I've heard stories about like that entire building shaking when Moxley came down. You guys were actually there. Uh, so I want to know what that specific moment in time was like. I was fucking crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I've I've been to a few WrestleManias. There was like the WrestleMania, um, I think it was in Dallas, where like uh, is Roman and Triple H was the main event, I think. Yeah, something like that. Which and, time? Wait, oh wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and and you expect because Gallows and Anderson have reportedly signed, and you're just like, oh shit. They're going to come in with a bang. They're going to debut like fucking Balor Club or something like that. And they're going to come in. They're going to beat up Roman or something like that. And then like nothing happens because it's WWE. Uh, Not to be too partisan. (laughs) It's just like, you know, you fantasy book this thing. And double or nothing, you couldn't fantasy book any better. You want it to happen. You want something that big to happen. And then when it does, there is such a release from that crowd because it was almost like a... Can, can, can they stick the landing? Because, like, the air had been taken out of the sails, like, a little bit, I think, with, like, the uh, the Jericho victory. Yep. And then they made good on it. And, uh, man, like, I, I just remember the, the, the crowd did not stop. Like, I think it comes across so much louder than it did on, like, on, on TV. What do you guys remember? I, I remember uh, it was, like, a, being in the inside of a monster energy can is maybe, like, a... <laughs> That's what it felt like. And, and the thing is for me, I mean, especially when I'm at a live event, this is something we talk about on our show, is uh, how fun of a time I usually have at live events. But I'm there to mark out. I'm there to forget everything. I, to, you know, I read the sheets as much as everybody. I'm on Squared Circle as much as everybody. I try to forget that when I'm there. And I think that collectively everybody had managed to do that. It's like almost like the main event was very good, and we almost forgot there was this one thing left to do. And and when that happened, it was it felt like it felt like being, you know, a preteen again is is what it felt like for me, at least. Yeah. Yeah. On on TV, I just love the way it, it has a, a slow build where you can people in the crowd are noticing and you're like, there's a commotion while Jericho's cutting this promo. And then he must have got on screen or something. And the whole crowd just absolutely erupts. Um, What a way to debut someone and what a way to set up these two as well uh, as two of the preeminent figures in AEW and a rivalry that is going to become a real centerpiece for the company. Uh, Of course, these two after that were scheduled to face each other at all out, but John Moxley had to pull out due to a staph infection and injury, but they picked up the feud again on the very first dynamite where Moxley put Omega through a glass table, setting up what was going to be a very violent feud. Uh, And they went on to have an unsanctioned match at full gear, which Moxley of course won the win, setting himself up for his championship shot. Omega went on to be part of the tag team scene uh, with his partnership with Hangman Page. But once that dissolved uh, and Omega won the championship contenders tournament at full gear 2020, that set up the match with John Moxley, which happened at Winter is Coming. Omega won that with the assistance of Don Callis setting up their partnership and with Omega finally picking up the AEW championship that he had been deprived of for the first year or so of the company's existence. How did you guys feel about the positioning of these two characters and sort of the way their rivalry was set up up to the, you know, up to when winter is coming happened and that title change happened? 
I, I think that it was it was needed for Kenny Omega. I, I think people were were pushing for something that they weren't going to get. Like everyone was clamoring, when are we going to get the cleaner? When are we going to get New Japan Kenny Omega? And if there's anything that we know about AEW and the way that they work is that they want to do something new and different. They're not going to go backwards. And so I, I loved the the heel turn for Kenny Omega. Um, that you know stealing the title quite you know with the help of Don Callis and it was just a great. Wait, you, I thought you won fair and square. That's what they. That's what Don <laughs> commentary. Yeah, fair you won fair and square. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then obviously it keeps it keeps Boxley super strong. It it gets him back to where you know he's at his best, which is chasing for the title again. And I, I just it, and it was also it it acts as kind of a nice cool down for what was an awesome run for Moxley through uh, uh the the sort of lean pandemic months, um, which I think he did, he did a great job as champion. Yeah, like um, uh, I think the alignment switch was pretty cool, where it's like, you know, Kenny Omega was going to be your top babyface uh, in AEW, and he gets his ass beat by Chris Jericho. And then he gets thrown off a stack of poker chips by a debuting, quote unquote, baby face John Moxley. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he gets he, do, he doesn't make that main event. He gets stuck in the tag team with like Hangman and Page where, you know, he wants to be going for the top title. It's kind of like an albatross to him. And then eventually, you know, he gets asked to be the cleaner enough that he has dancing girls come out with brooms. Uh, and he joins Don Callis, and I, I think, I think the build to this match is fantastic. Like the fact that they did that title change on TV as well uh, yeah. during, you know, Winter's Coming, I think was great. And yeah, I mean, this is like the exact type of match that a John Moxley would theoretically want. But you know, as as we see the match unfold, you know, maybe that isn't what he wants. <laughs> well, it also works. It also works so well into sort of the insecurities of the. Omega character, the heel Omega character that actually would kind of like mirror or be the inverse of how Hangman dealt with uh, his failures. You know, Kenny essentially is like, maybe I'm not good enough. Uh, and instead of running away, just blatantly starts to cheat. And it makes logical sense that, you know, this would lead to a match like this exploding barbed wire match. Like it is this big extravagant gimmick. But ultimately what it also is, is it's a way for Kenny to have an infinite number of uh, good brothers run down to the ring and help him win. You know, <laughs> so it's like it, it, it all like makes sense, like logically within these characters. Yeah. And particularly as a an escalation of what they'd previously done. Of course, they had that very violent match at full gear uh, and then right. followed it up with Winter is Coming, which while it was a standard match, was certainly one where they laid things in very heavily. I, I believe it had, uh, it's been a while since I've watched it, but I know that it had stuff happening on the outside. I think there was chairs involved. And, and the positioning of it was that these two were the most titanic figures in the company at the time. Uh, and they had a rivalry that just could not be resolved uh, any other way. And that was shown through January, February, after that Winter is Coming match, where Moxley would chase Omega, often turning up completely outnumbered, but still launching himself into the entire Super Elite. I know there was sort of teasers of if the Young Bucks are going to go along with Omega um, down right. this path. And, and they ended up going after Moxley just as hard as Omega and the Good Brothers. Uh, and eventually it was actually Omega that announced that at Revolution, the pair would have this would have an exploding barbed wire death match because Omega wanted to get rid of Moxley once and for all. You already had the stakes of this being the two biggest 
names in the company, but doing something that was almost completely taboo and something that had never happened before. Um, it, it almost felt like a violation of of what wrestling should be in America. Uh, how did you guys feel when the when this match was announced? To be perfectly honest with you, my first reaction was we're going to get a very sanitized version of this gimmick. Like just that's just my knee jerk, just because how could you possibly do what they were, what they were, but, but then I thought about it. I was like, well, no, that's the AEW is like, they're, they're actually going to deliver on their promises. At least that's like, you know, what you've come to expect from the company. So I was, I was thrilled. I, I was a little nervous, but I was just kind of gobsmacked. Like, I can't believe this is actually happening in a mainstream wrestling company, you know, that's on pay-per-view in America. It, it, it was, it was shocking, but exciting. I think, I think you nailed it with Sam when you're saying it was kind of like taboo, you know, yeah. in, in the best way possible. Yeah. I, I felt the same way about it. However, I was, a, uh, you know, we didn't have the hindsight of it. It's just like, oh, yeah, AEW is going to bring in Nick Gage and he's going to light tube Chris Jericho on TNT. Right. Like, uh, this was part of, like, AEW's violence escalation. I was a little worried because I'm just like, wow, AEW is doing a lot of blood and a lot of dangerous gimmicks. And I was like, starting to get a little worried about sure. how far they were going to push things. Um, because, you know... I understand that John Moxley and Kenny Omega. It's one of the reasons why I was excited about this match is that it's just like if you see an exploding barbed wire death match outside of you know ones that involve like a Terry Funk or a McFoley, and it's arguable whether the McFoley one's even a good match. It has a very similar finish to this one. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's like you don't get to see wrestlers of this caliber in America having these kinds of matches. If you see a wrestler having a match like this, you're probably going to see it in CZW or something like that. It's probably right. not going to be a particularly good match, but it'll be, like, spectacle. In Japan, it's a little different. Though, if you watch, like, the FMWE promotion uh, that Onita has, the matches are fucking terrible. Like, they're all awful. Like, Onita's, like, 62, and he's just wrestling some big fat guy, and then they just, like, roll around for a while, and everyone just blade, blades and then it explodes. So I was, like, excited to see it. I was like, what is it Kenny Omega do on a match like this? And the answer is have a great match within the confines of uh, uh, three sides of right. the wire. <laughs> and, and I think that is what Dave, you know, Big Papa Dave, big ups to him, of course. Uh, I think that's what, what he likes most about this in his 4.5 star review. That's what he talks about, right? These are the greatest wrestlers that have ever performed in a barbed wire match as far as like actual technical skill. Um, as Frank pointed out in his withering indictment of Nick Mondo's work rate a few minutes ago, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's what a, I... It's more Matt Tremont, even though I, I like Matt Tremont. Sure, is, sure. Yeah, that's, yeah, he's, he's no Kenny Omega is all I'm that's, saying. That's right. Well, <laughs> it, 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 sort of in the same vein, but what I was very excited about, and I was really excited when I heard about this, is... You know, since then, we've we've learned that, like, Kenny, this was one of the things in, in the first, you know, few years of AEW that he really wanted to do. And he ear, he sort of earmarked Mox as his handpicked opponent for this. And it just goes to show you, and, and we're seeing this now with Punk, with uh, with Brian um, Danielson. We talk so much nowadays about, like, oh, my God, isn't it so great to see CM Punk happy to be back in a wrestling ring? Isn't it so exciting to see Brian Danielson with a smile on his face, like a sincere smile that he's sort of keeping back as he wrestles. And, and the thing is, we take for granted, this was the same for Kenny. This was the same for John Moxley back then. This was the draw of AEW as a place to be. The fact right. that these artists were going to be able to to be handed the paintbrushes that uh, that uh, the palette that they'd been wanting to paint with for a while. And, and, and even if it was going to be this sort of 
weird out there taboo violent thing you know to back frank's point i think that the first maybe years of aew was sort of aew teaching non-hardcore smart fans how to watch aew moving forward and and i think this match for all the uh flack that it gets is is a part of that legacy and is a, a foundational building block towards us enjoying AEW now and saying that Double or Nothing 2021 is like one of the best pay-per-views of all time. That you know this past pay-per-view full gear is such an amazing pay-per-view. It's it's off the backs of matches like this. Absolutely, and I think as you said, you know Omega and Moxley, you've got two guys who are willing to put their bodies absolutely on the line in ways that or every wrestler is willing to put their body on the line for their art, but there are some that do it even more so and are willing to like literally put their, their lives on the line. And that's how it felt like going into this yeah. match. I feel, I feel like when I getting into the match and, and when this thing started, I remember sitting in my room wondering if I was about to see someone like permanently injured, permanently scarred, or, you know, what is the absolute worst that could possibly happen in a wrestling ring? And I think that's part of the anticipation that comes with this sort of match. It's just the, the inherent danger of it. And in Moxley and Omega, it's even scary because you know that these are two guys who will lay absolutely everything on the line. And that was emphasized in the sort of the video package that they kicked this off with. It had the history of their rivalry also sort of contrasted with the history of this type of match, particularly in Japan, showing the sorts of explosions, showing the sort of damage that can be done. Uh, And in another great wink to it, Moxley came out with a jacket that was reminiscent of the one that Onita wears, Mm -hmm. sort of the, the king of this match style. And almost looking a little bit more nervous than normal. Normally he absolutely rips and tears on his way to the ring, but he was a little bit more subdued than normal. And of course, taking a bit of a sip of whiskey from a flask before he got into it. You've got Bryce Rensberg wearing a fireproof suit and a face shield in the ring. There's exploding barbed wire boards surrounding the ring. There's barbed wire on three sides. Uh, Apparently the fire marshal made them have a way out. (laughs) <laughs> that was at least I, the kayfabe reason I love that, was that, given. that concept. Yeah, I I love that concept because uh, they could they could justify it however they want. Yeah, that one set of ropes makes this match better than basically every barbed wire match I've seen before. Yeah. Just then being able to Absolutely. use use the ropes at all, even if it's just one side, just elevates the match so much. So yeah. they could they could say it's a fire marshal or Doc Sampson, or just them being like, man, you know what? It's kind of stupid to put barbed wire all around the ring with there's guys in it. Like, whatever the reason, <laughs> is, it, is it worked out great? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it didn't make it feel any less unsafe. Um, Don Callis, like, perfectly summed things up. He gets on the call, uh, gets on the microphone. The first thing he says is, gentlemen, it's a great day to die. Uh, and there's just this <laughs> he is sense of Magnificently danger. shitty. I love him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, Don Callis is great. Frank, you already said some stuff around it, but Joaquin and Chuck, what did you guys think of the the setup they had going on here? I mean, we talk about it on our show all the time, how important atmosphere is, and it's all like the non-wrestling, it's all the intangibles, right? Um, And re-watching this, I was just reminded of like how much the atmosphere really adds to the tension here. Like, and and the way way that AEW figured out how to shoot their shows in the pandemic, you never really notice that there isn't a crowd. Like there aren't these like the, the way they shoot it, it kind of obscures the fact that they're kind of wrestling for no one, which is which re- really helps us feel like it, it, it has the high stakes that it needs. 
Uh, but but for me, the, the the standout part of the atmosphere, the thing that I, I I notice immediately that I can't not look at, he's the only person who could have refereed this match. Bryce Remsburg is a champion. Like, yes. and it's not just the outfit. Like, it's the way that he reacts. Like, he really is AEW's red shoes. He goes big. Like, those explosions don't get sold the way that they need to unless Remsburg also falls over the way that he right. does. And I just want to just give an extra shout out to him at adding to the tension in the match. Brilliant. Especially at the beginning. <laughs> he, that shot of him holding up the belt in the full hazmat suit, I think, is mm. perhaps the most iconic image of the match. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's great. Uh, also, Bryce, even between the big spots, walks around the ring like he stubbed his toe the entire time. He's always just like, yeah. oh, fuck, oh, please, yes. oh, yes. like, every, every single, like, even if there's nothing happening, he's always like, oh, <laughs> like, like, he's selling what happened before and what will happen later, even if there's something happening in the ring. It's it's great. Like, I, I love Bryce. You know, Bryce is 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 one of the best referees at, at playing sort of that Greek chorus, and not a, not every referee does that. And, and as an added plus, he got to uh, use that uh, for his Jesse Pinkman costume the same Halloween. So big ups for him for that. <laughs> hey, all right, Man. there you go. With the the actual match, once they did get going, immediately you get an idea of the tension and you can feel like the added escalation in that tension that you get from having barbed wire and explosives all around the ring with the the first lockup is just so full of drama and intensity as these two are trying to like scratch and push each other uh, and avoid themselves there's some really great teasers in this bit isn't there oh yeah it's it's paced like a thriller mm. at the start yeah like it's it's not like a you could say like a like a CZW like deathmatch main events kind of like saw, like like it's it's like like a horror porn kind of thing where it's just like what's the most awful thing we can do and then you just do that like ten times and then the match is over. It's gratuitous for the sake of itself. Yeah, yeah. But this it's just like the build up and that's what makes mm. that like it's it perfectly sets the stage for the rest of the match, like. You'd think that neither of these people want to go into the exploding barbed wire. And the fact that you have to set up that conceit in wrestling is ridiculous, but you do. Because right. <laughs> like, the, the way some other people do it, they just like throw themselves into that shit. Not, not these boys. They don't want to be in there. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, they, they really maximize the drama. You're right. It, it is in the withholding that, mm. that, that, that you, you raise the stakes. And they do a very yeah. good job of really teasing it out. And then once you get to the actual violence... They then do the proper escalation. I, I think one of my favorite mm. like swings in the match. We have that first explosion. You know, it's it's uh, Mox. Mo, is it Mox that goes into the barbed wire and it, and it pops the mm. first time? Great. The second explosion. It's not just the one. It's bang bang. You know what I mean? Like now we've mm. we've we've stepped it up again. Like these guys are just masters in the way that they control how this whole thing kind of crescendos to the end. Yeah. Even even just with in the very first bit, they you know at first they do a lock up. And they're struggling. Yeah. Then they do some Irish whips and they sort of steady themselves and pull out. Then the next one, Kenny steadies himself against the barbed wire board in the corner. He puts his foot on it to steady himself. Then yeah. they sort of go to the outside and they're, they're fighting on the outside with the trash bin, with barbed wire bats uh, and, and getting to work that way. And as you said, Omega is the first one to throw Moxley into the barbed wire. Uh, Mox gets some powder in the face and then gets thrown into the barbed wire. Um, Joaquin, what did you think of the first explosion when it went off? I love that it was Kenny that threw 
mocks in because every time they use those explosives in this match, it's it's for a different storytelling beat. And yep. the idea that this was Kenny's, I you know, this was Kenny's concept. You know, I remember very specifically when they released the the diagram on I think it was like social media or Twitter or something like that. It's very like home alone diagram that Kenny came up with. It's very appropriate that Kenny is the one that is able to do it. And it's very appropriate that he did it with a bit of sand to the face, a little powder to the face. All these beats are very character driven. Even the second explosion, which we're not to yet, it's a different beat. And, 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 it's just a well, and I always say this about AEW, it's an intelligently laid out match from a psychological storytelling perspective. Absolutely. Chuck and Frank, what did you guys think of the, just in general, of the pyro that they used as it, as it went off? I think it's visually effective, right? Like, if you if you turn the sound off in this match and just kind of watch it with some distance and don't let yourself get invested in it, you can tell how much heavy lifting the guys are doing, you know, by, like, throwing their bodies off the, the barbed wire. Like, they're insinuating, right, that, like, there's an explosion or maybe some kind of electricity or something that is adding to the the sort of uh, the, the concussive elements of, of the of the ropes going off. But really, it's just like it's it's kind of a spark, some powder and the guys go flying. Right. So I, I, it's effective in accomplishing what it's trying yeah. to do. The sound. I, I think the sound was really important. Um, yeah, I, I legitimately forgot the ex- that the explosions off the ropes were good. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I, like in my head, I'm just like. Oh, all the explosions are a bit lackluster in this match, and that's that's not the case. Like they they, they go off, they make a big noise, crowds chanting, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" Like it's working, and yeah, as Chuck said, the guys in the ring are selling it, and that's what makes it work. Because you know, if they just popped off like nothing happened, then you know, <laughs> people will be like, "Those explosions sucked." But yeah, like yeah, I I really did forget that the explosions were good. <laughs> to begin it's- with. An interesting thing for me is comparing something like this to what your expectation in, say, a movie is, where, I mean, you guys know better than me, you live in LA, <laughs> you're, you're actually in, in sort of the industry that um, employs these sorts of things, is instead of having real explosives, they'll load things up with petrol and gasoline, which you wouldn't use if you're actually trying to blow something up, but look spectacular on screen, whereas these guys can't exactly do that because they have to, you know, be standing next to it when it goes off. Um, right. But it still, yeah. it has a feeling of force. Uh, and of course, that's sold by the fact that as soon as Moxley goes into it and he's the first one to take it, Omega can immediately take advantage. He hits a Katara Crusher onto the trash can that's in the ring and Mox comes up with some blood on his face. I'm not sure if it was a blade job or not. If it was a blade job, he did it very, very quickly. Uh, And Omega sort of keeps trying to press that advantage, gets him into a figure four and then Moxley in like something that just feels so gruesome, gets a barbed wire wrap chair and just grates it against Omega's leg. Omega relies so much on the, his explosiveness and athleticism that comes off, you know, his explosive base, which Mox is working against by sort of grating against him there. It's a pretty brutal little spot. Yeah, I love uh, that it's, spot. It's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, and I love that spot partially because I think it's very indicative of who John Moxley is in AEW. You know, we were talking about that moment where he debuted um, initially at, at, at Double or Nothing, and... It's funny, and I kind of, you know, I don't want to, t- I want to turn this around to you because you're asking us questions. I want to ask yeah. you a question because you are, you are a huge, you are a huge Moxley fan. He's, yep. he's, he's one of Guilty. your faves. And, <laughs> and the thing is, I love that AEW John Moxley is different than Indies John Moxley is different than Dean Ambrose. Like this John Moxley is John McClane, and you can see that 
in this match a lot. And and you can mm. see it in the way that in that moment, you know, that's that's all he has available to him. It's like a violent version of catch as catch can. He's very resourceful, and and the the John Moxley of AEW is, if anything, a, a resourceful survivor. How do you feel like the John Moxley character differs in AEW versus Dean Ambrose versus indie John Moxley? Like, and is is there something in that evolution that like draws you further to him as a fan, Sam? I've I've definitely appreciated him more. Um, I was a huge Dean Ambrose fan back in WWE. Him and Seth Rollins and their feud is very much the thing that drew me back into wrestling as, as like a hardcore fan. I, I came back around WrestleMania 30 for the Yes Movement, uh, but it was their rivalry that really ignited my passion and made me want to dig in deeply. Uh, so I've got a lot of affection for the Dean Ambrose character, and he certainly had a lot of ups and downs in the WWE in terms of his presentation. And it was inconsistent, but part of that is just because WWE creative is inconsistent. But when mm-hmm. I look back at, say, the the Dean Ambrose in, in t- late 2015, early 2016, the guy who nearly won the Royal Rumble, who wrestled Triple H to a standstill and nearly won the championship, who faced down Brock Lesnar and was one of the first guys to really put fear into Brock Lesnar at that point, and then, of course, won the championship uh, off and, and beat the other Shield members. I, I sort of see... John Moxley in AEW as an extension of that character. He's definitely taken it further. He's definitely more intense. Of course, the violence that he can perpetrate is much higher and much larger. Um, but mm-hmm. in terms of who he is at his core, I feel like that core is still there in terms of like the character's values, in terms of what he values in other people, what he values in wrestling and how he's like a blue-collar worker almost. And he's got like a lot of pride in how he um, how he goes about his craft. And, you know, like this is the guy who had as kooky of a match as it was, had the Ambrose Asylum uh, and yeah. Chris Jericho, right. thumbtacks, you know, talk about using whatever comes to mind and whatever, whatever you can get your hands on that, that whole match was about that. Obviously not anywhere near as well done as this match or anything that he has done in AEW, but it's that sort of spirit I think that's continued on. And, and I think, I think there's a lot of Dean Ambrose in John Moxley, not to say oh, it hasn't sure. extended. And I do sometimes get a little bit shitty at some of the takes about uh, his WWE run because of the success of his AEW run. Um, because I've still, I don't know, personally, I've still got a lot of, ru- of love for that. And, you know, as we said, like this is this is him at his core, just grabbing what he can to try and grift his way back into this match. I love it. Just by the way, I love and miss Mitch the plant. So I'm there with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like oh, even man. even that, like the Mitch thing, we laugh about it. But the reason that he destroyed Chris Jericho's jacket is because. To him, he just wanted to find what was most valuable to Chris Jericho because to him what was most valuable was Mitch the Plant. He didn't care that it was like $3 versus $15,000 because this is not a guy that cares about material items in that way. It's what it mattered to him. And so he destroyed what mattered most to Chris Jericho because Chris Jericho destroyed what mattered most to him. (laughs) That is a wild thing. WWE Moxley is like, like he made it work. Like when when yeah. they first like oh one hundred percent like they, they like yeah. he made it work and that's like I think that's the only again I'm very partisan in this the only way that you can succeed in WWE mm. is if you can make whatever weird shit gets handed to you work 
Yeah, and some people have a unique ability to be able to do that. Like you, they hand you anything, and you're just like, oh, I can, I can, I can, I can deliver this somehow. And it's such a huge thing to overcome, and he could always do it until yeah. the end, where they gave him the gas mask and all that stuff. He's a unique once in a generation talent. And there was even some stuff so bad he couldn't make it. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but, but he always had that thing that came through, right? Like even with the bat, some of the bad material, like you could always tell that like he had an X factor. I think it's why it was so yeah. frustrating being a fan of Dean Ambrose yeah. near the end was because you knew that he, like he, like back in 2016 when he had that title run and he was he was you know wrestling more than any other guy in the company on both shows, both you know traveling around, really elevating that title. And then when it kind of all went away. And he was kind of shifted back down the card a little bit. It was very frustrating because you were just like, no, he should be the guy. I know you want it to be the other guy, but it should be this guy. And just now we've now we've gone on this whole this this, this kind of like. Well, and I think I can derail your show the yeah. way that we derail, we derail our, our shows. Show. Yeah. But man, <laughs> hey, look, I'm, I'm always happy to spend five minutes talking about John Moxley. <laughs> well, that's right. Well, and and I want to give you kudos and get us back on track at the same time because I I think that um. I really respect that. I think you you've pointed out something very key, um, and, and this dovetails with what Frank was saying about what it takes to succeed in the WWE despite bad, bad booking. Is you have to have sort of an internal logic as a wrestler, as a creative person, as an artist that you carry with you, and you've identified as the as the thread for all of the John Moxley, Dean Ambrose. That character is is this sort of internal bushido that he has he's got sort of this honor code like a sort of like a wolverine right and that's what makes him likable and that also i think dovetails perfectly with why this match ends the way it does so look we're back on track (laughs) thank you well done i mean in in this is awesome you're the master of this part of the the thing so i'm glad you're able to (laughs) help help me in my padawan ways (laughs) Anyway, the next the next big explosion in this match, uh, I wanted to just get your take on it. Was Kenny Omega going head first into the into the explosives? Like we talked earlier about these guys, like just putting it all on the line. When you saw this guy going head first, what did you think? Uh, so this is the one where uh, Kenny gets shot into the ropes and then gets hit with the yeah. basement drop kick, right? Yeah, and then goes back into it again. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so number one, I was I was very surprised. Uh, number <laughs> two, when he hit the ropes again, they still exploded. I was like, that's great. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> you thought it was just one and done. Yeah, Set it and that's yeah exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that was my takeaway. Well, it's also, I mean, that's a, that is a storytelling moment in the match. Like we talk about how they, they, they take these the time in each part of the match to sort of like lay the groundwork and, 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 and establish the rules. Like, you know, early on, we get like the the headlock stuff, and it's like okay, like these guys need to rethink how they're going to wrestle because they can't use the ropes. Now we've established just because you hit a rope once does not mean it's diffused. The tension does not go away, and I think that's yeah. important to show that like these things can go off multiple times. So like it's always there. And and once they've gone off once and then twice, things just really ramp up in this match. They have like this really high angle suplex into the barbed wire boards that looked like it dropped Omega on on his neck pretty much. Mox is like wrapping barbed wire around his arm so he can deliver extra punishment when he, you know, hits clotheslines and grinding it in his face. And then Kenny, of course, in an act of desperation, pushes Moxley into the barbed wire fence 
he goes face first so he can push Moxley into that. And that's like an act of self-sacrifice because he knows that to win this match, he's going to have to put himself through um, his own level of pain that, you know, hopefully he can overcome. And eventually they do make it outside to the landmines, which is the next ratcheting up of tension in the match. Um, And of course the commentators, they play up the real danger of this. They're really teasing it on the aprons. Uh, and then Mox goes for a kill shot, hitting a paradigm shift into the barbed wire board, putting Kenny Omega face first into it, but also impaling himself on it. And then, of course, there's the explosion. Frank, I heard a bit of a groan. Is this what you were alluding to before? No, no, no. This is this is this is not what I would consider the worst moment of the match. However, this is the part where the pyrotechnics crew clearly started to unravel. Because yeah. uh, mm-hmm. this is the one mm-hmm. where the sparklers go off on one side. Yeah. Uh, however, still a good noise. And yeah. also, Kenny Omega just like brain busters himself on that paradigm shift. Like it's it's like he's getting a brain buster off the apron. Like Kenny looks like he get, gets killed by this. And that makes it work. Despite the fact that the pyrotechnics were a little lackluster on this one. Well, I think that's that the, the way that he takes that move, Frank, and I think that sell is supposed to be a callback to the double or nothing through the glass table spot, correct? Yep. Like he kind of takes it in a very similar way. Oh, that the uh, was it double or nothing? Was that, that was the first dynamite, right? Yeah, first dynamite. Yep. Oh, first, first okay, dynamite. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's more of a sell for like a death rider than it is for a paradigm shift, right? The way he elevates yeah. coming off the apron. Yeah. It, it, I think it's visually very effective. And it also shows, like, again, like we've been saying before, like Moxley is willing to hurt himself to inflict pain on Kenny Omega. Like this is he's just like, well, what can I do? What if afflicts the maximum amount of damage? It's paradigm shift. But it turns out I'm going to land in a bunch of barbed wire. Fuck it. Do it anyway. He, it, it's a nice moment. He, he does, by the way. He yells Death Rider before he does it. Did you catch that? Oh, OK. There you go. There you go. So he, awesome. he he signals it. And and I think that's something that's, uh, that I'm hearing from everybody as as we talk about this is. The reason, you know, maybe at times the the explosions are a little chintzy and, you know, kind of looking back, it, maybe I was a little more impressed at the time and, and maybe memory does a certain thing to it. I, I think that certainly the FMW uh, explosions are a little more impressive back in the day. And maybe that's partially because they were darker, smoke-filled rooms. And there's something also, about that. It's very generation VHS copies, Joaquin. Well, yeah. there's that, too. The there's LP that too. There's also LP the fact that they're the actually LP. dangerous. Like, Sean Khan pointed this out in, like, the post-show before he kind of, like, owned up to the fact that, like, the the final ring, spoiler alert, the final ring explosion doesn't go off. Um, (laughs) He was just like, what do you want me to do? You want me to fucking blow these guys up, basically? And it's like, we're not going to do that. And, like, I can buy that for this bit because I'm like, how do you safely detonate explosions under those boards you have to just have them off on the side you can't put it all the way around it okay now now hang on frank are you saying that florida in uh 2021 is uh more (laughs) dysregulated than japan in 1989 because i i don't know if that's true florida i think it's government where wrestling was an essential worker Yeah, wrestling was made an essential business in Florida so they could continue to run shows during the worst pandemic in history. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was essential for me. I, it was. I mean, it was the wrestling. You know what? I like. I'm I'm glad those guys had the shows because it, it helped get me through it. But like, this, this is dangerous. I don't think any of you guys watched the most recent 62 year old Anita fighting fresh out of retirement Matt Tremont 
from H2O Missed Wrestling. That one. You guys didn't watch Missed it? Missed that one. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Metromont like, was in the... or something, Frank? Like, what's the weird yeah. thing in that match? <laughs> no, no. <They're> like... <laughs> uh, so the exploding ring is really impressive. They use a lot of fire in the match, too. Very mm. date like the, the the fireworks and stuff, the exploding ring, all that. That's all fine. The way they use fire is just Anita and Metromont just being irresponsible with it. Metromont was in hospital for ten days afterwards in a burn ward. Oh God. Um, yeah. S- like, and that's what happens if you do it for real. Like you know, like John Moxley had to like show up on dynamites four days later. Like this explosion wasn't that impressive. But what are you gonna do? You got blown up for real. No. <laughs> no. But I digress. If nothing else, they are landing in just a, a tanglement of barbed wire, and Moxley is, like, right in there tangled with it. There's a great yes. shot um, of them as they're on the apron, and they've got a great replay shot of them going off. Uh, and JR has a great line. They both went to hell, but I'm not sure who made it back yet. Yeah. Uh, JR is great during this one. Yeah, he's he's worse. Yeah. Like he's he's barely holding it together. But he him and he Callis does have cannot call. talk in this match. Like both him and Callis are losing their voices, just screaming. Moving moving into like the ending stretch of this match, you've got Moxley who after that paradigm shift he moves into kill mode and he's just trying to do away with Omega with one big shot, just putting in big move after big move. Both men really unsteady. Omega goes for. V-trigger into one-winged angel, and then this is my favorite match moment of the match, to be honest. Yes. After the one-winged yes. angel is hit, John Moxley sets off the explosion, hits the ropes to set off an explosion and break the pin, kick out of the one-winged angel. I have, I've watched a lot of wrestling. Is this the greatest kick out in wrestling history? <laughs> Well, it's not technically it's, a kickout because no no one's kicked out of the right. angel except except <laughs> someone has and it was Kota Ibushi like ten years ago. <laughs> uh, but this is the closest the that you can get to angel. actually a kickout of a one winged angel. I thought it was fucking brilliant. I actually forgot about it and when it happened, I just like popped. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, well, it just genius. shows you that that how how much these guys have a command of their character and how they 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 understand who they are as characters, you know, in the ring and out of the ring. Like, this is just a perfect distillation of Mox's resourcefulness. He will do anything to not lose this match, in, including, you know, blowing himself up. Yeah, yeah, just the grit, the heart. That's what you want in your lead face. Like, that is, as you said, it's a perfect distillation of his character, what happens here. And I, I was just, like, jumping out of my chair at this point the first time I watched it. Joaquin, what, what did you think of this part? I actually the same thing, Frank. I, I it's not that I forgot. It's just when I saw it again. I, you know, I was the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I was just pointing at the screen because <laughs> it was so good. I just again, AEW is just so smart. Like you know, to go back a few steps because we were tr- we've been tracking this over the course of our conversation. You know, again, the first sort of explosion happens because Kenny is cheating, right? The second explosion happens because. Kenny is basically like taking too much time and taunting Moxley while he's up trying to apply a figure four. You know, we, we breeze by that part. Each of these moments, it shows you something about the character. It's not just moves with a Z. It's not just uh, a garbage wrestling, even though there is literally garbage cans around. It's it's <laughs> storytelling. Absolutely. Yeah. 
and after that, just in like an incredible image, you've got Mox pushing himself to his feet with the barbed wire bat. And at that point, it's clear Omega can't put this man down himself, <laughs> short of killing yes. him for good. And that's when the Good Brothers run out. Moxley, of course, tries to take them on because it's John Moxley. Of course, he's going to try and fight them. But yeah. they have enough time to give Omega an exploding barbed wire bat, which Moxley takes to the face for a two count and then Moxley of course ends up taking a one-winged angel through a setup chair to get the three what did you guys think of this little ending stretch here what a spot this is the worst whoa whoa Frank what this is the worst part of the match the finish what? is the worst part of the match worse than the ring serious? explosion yep the finish is the worst part of the match because okay so the good brothers run in exploding bats awesome because usually they have a power cable on them in, in Japan, they always have, like, a little sparkler cable. This guy's like, an aficionado. Of so, I, uh, look, I just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a writer. I spend a lot of time unemployed. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, so I'm just like, okay, cool. That's, like, like, that's a really cool bit. And then I expected, you know, Mox to, like, actually fight the Good Brothers off. Or for it to just be more than, like, two guys run down, turn it into a three-on-one match, and then the match just fucking ends. Like, it's a really lackluster finish for a, especially for a pay-per-view main event. That's a TV finish. Um, like, that's a WWE, that's a that's a Monday Night uh, Raw finish. Yeah. I, except I, for the I, exploding I, bat. Uh, go, 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 go. You guys go. Uh, you guys go. Uh, we're raising our hands here. Chuck, first. You want to go? No, no, go ahead, Joaquin. Please. You want a taste? The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this is the story of the match. And this yeah. is actually, this is going to dovetail into our conversation about the end. John Moxley is a lone wolf. And so far being a lone wolf has been all right for him, you know? And and this shows why he loses this match. He loses the match because he doesn't have that backup. Everybody else in AEW has three to four to five to eight friends. Oh, I would argue, Joaquin, the, the main thesis point, the entire existence for AEW and all of their stories is Gotta have friends, man. Gotta have friends. All stories. All friends of them. Darby! He's got a friend! He's got it's a weird old guy named Steve. Yeah. But, Dar- but Darby <laughs> was Mox's friend. Friends. Where's Darby? He's got an older friend named Steve with a weird soul patch. He's in like a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, they were in, a where- they were in the warehouse. <laughs> it's not yeah. there. But they, like dri- but they drive away, I assume, to the arena to watch the rest of the matches and take in some catering. They didn't nah, get there in time. That was just something. before this. They didn't get there in time. <laughs> yeah. There's a super no, cut of, yeah. like, him turning up if 15 they, minutes later and going, what's happening? <laughs> if, they, if they cut from the Good Brothers coming down to the ring to Darby Allen stuck in traffic, then I would give this match 20 stars. Amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I, I, I cut you off. Mox, Mox, is right. Mox, is, Mox is meant to have friends. You're right. Mox is meant to have friends. So, there's like some like where's Lee Johnson? He's not friends Lee with Lee Johnson. Johnson. Lee, yeah, Lee Johnson's friends John with lots of people. From Adam, he doesn't know that guy. I, I, no, this is this work. I mean, look, it's disappointing and it's a little deflating, but I think it's supposed to. And I think it's kind of like with the Jericho going over Kenny Omega back at uh, Double or Nothing. That was a little deflating, but they knew they had the ace up their sleeve of John Moxley to show up to pop the crowd again. I think that. They, they thought they could get away with having kind of a bummer, disappointing, lackluster ending, if that's how you want to see it. Because the ring was going it. to explode. Be- because the ring was going to explode and because uh, uh, something really sa- uh, amazing was going to happen and we were all going to cry. 
That was the yeah. way it was supposed to work. Just didn't. Because but it, was I, I, it still makes sense with one of the best story, moments like, in wrestling ever. Right. Because, right. But like, because look, if that ring actually exploded, it would have been one of the best moments in wrestling ever. Correct. But we correct. didn't get but, that. But it's 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 also like God, I keep going to say this because I criticize the other company. The other company gets criticized for this because they do it too much. But Frank, this is heat. It's heat, brother. The good brothers are just gone though. It's heat for they're Kenny. They're gone. They're, they're not, they're, it's not around anymore. I, I went back I to their home so. planet. Yeah. Impact <laughs> like wrestling. Yeah. For for me, the defense of this ending, because I I love the ending, is that. As, as we've said, Moxley is a lone wolf and Omega can't put him down himself. And it just really emphasizes how much of a tough bastard John Moxley is. You know, he takes that exploding bat to the face. He it takes a one winged angel into a set up chair, which looks like it absolutely killed to, to finally put him down. Oh, yeah, that think... looks great. I, I won't debate that. That looks yeah. incredible. They do it perfectly. I, I thought I'm this sure was like a, <laughs> I thought this was a satisfying ending to this feud that these two have had where Omega had to go to such lengths to, to finally put down John Moxley uh, in a way that he couldn't previously, like he couldn't get it done at full gear back in 2019 to do it. He had to have a little bit of cheating in the first match. And then of course, with this one, he had to have the, the good brothers come in and Moxley didn't come out of it looking any worse for wear. He looked like a complete badass in all the best ways possible. And Omega looked resourceful and, he looked like he was someone that really was taking his position as champion as something that he valued so highly that he was able to, he was willing to sacrifice not only his own um, body, but his honor and every fiber of integrity that he had to, yes. to get this championship. It yeah, puts both guys I, over. Absolutely. Yeah, both guys, I, here's the thing. Despite the fact that the Good Brothers just kind of come out there and just end the match... Both guys do come out of this looking better, except for what happens after the match. Yeah. Bell to well, bell. Frank, Frank, would the ending have been more satisfying if Anderson had done Sour Boy? <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. It would have been oh, the a worst. little bit. The, ra- the ring doesn't explode. He's like, we got a problem here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, SpaghettiOs, oh, well, the wing didn't explode. <laughs> let's Let's get it. Obviously, everyone who's listening to this podcast know what's happened. Know what happens. Um, Omega and the Good Brothers keep beating him down. Omega throws a trash can at Bryce Rensburg. I forgot that. And that felt transgressive as well. They handcuff John Moxley. A counter, a tight countdown timer appears on the screen. They keep beating him down. They get out of there. Moxley is handcuffed in the middle by himself. And at the last minute, Eddie Kingston runs out tries to wake up Moxley with no time left to spare, chooses to protect John Moxley. But, of course, the explosion that happened was not the explosion we were promised. They sort of – there's some things go off in the side, some things go off on the ring post, but in the centre of the ring, these two are sort of left pretty unharmed and unaffected by it. Obviously, we've talked about how that affects the. Le- we'll talk about how that affects the legacy. But what do you think was meant to happen? My, in my mind, the ring was meant to collapse or something. Because as you said, they couldn't blow them up. Like they're not going to actually blow them up for good. But I'm trying to think of what was going to happen to to give the idea of them being yeah. blown up. And I think there's going to be like a lot of explosions on the outside. Like, a lot more uh, smoke for sure. Yeah. So uh, Anita's Anita's smart with his exploding barbed wire death matches. Is he does them outside. 
<laughs> like, I understand Daly's place is partially covered, but mm. you can't set fireworks off going straight into the sky, which is actually, like, one of the defining features of, like, the Anita-style right. exploding deathmatch. The setup for this Daly's place is they still have the wrestlers as the immediate audience surrounding the ring. And they pulled them back further for yep. the exploding match, so it's a little safer. But there's still people who are too close for you to set off the amount of explosions that you probably need to make yep. this look cool. And that's a problem. Reportedly, they did a dry run where they saw that they saw what the ring explosion was going to look like, like the day before, and apparently looked great. So maybe it was just like a bunch of fireworks didn't fire. They set them up yeah, it's wrong. A, some kind of misfire. Yeah. 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 But I like your idea for the ring collapse. That's that's kind of what I. Like, honestly, if they had also if the, all the fireworks went off concurrently, they all went off like in sequence almost like like, yeah. like the, each like the sparklers fire and then like the smoke fires and stuff like that. If they set them all off at once and this I, I have been thinking about this a lot since the day this match happened. If you set off Kane's pyro like the yeah. post pyro, you set that off on the four corners and then you do like the big show ring collapse where you like pull it and the ring falls down, then you've got a, a very impressive finish still in what would likely be a much safer way. Um, also, just set off like some smoke bombs in the middle of the ring. You needed more smoke. It needed to cover Kingston and Moxley so that you didn't just see that they were just kind of laying there. They, they just needed yeah. more visual cover for them. Yeah, you could even play an explosion through the speakers, like a noise. Right. Like, you know, there's like, there's so many things they could have done that they didn't do. But... You know AEW, they're going to do it again. Like, they didn't get what they wanted out of this the first time. So I feel like the second that they run, like, a show at, like, the JAG Stadium or something like that, they're going to blow yep. that fucking ring up. <laughs> I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I got a question for you guys because I, I got to be perfectly honest. I watched this whole match again, but I, I got to go over what happened with the explosion from memory because I I just can't watch it. I, oh, it's I, so I, embarrassing. I, it's I, I, and I, I feel it. like mostly it's it's Eddie. Eddie commits so hard to this, and it's like not even arguably, it's the biggest moment of his career. You know, coming out but, of the main event at the last moment of his pay per view, and and it doesn't work. But he gets. A, just, I, but later he gets more big moments in his career. To date, this was the thing that was going to set him on the, the path, and it still did. Right. Um. Like like for all intents and purposes, it didn't derail anything for Eddie Kingston. But yeah, it should have been a career-defining moment. Um, I, I can't do it for. I can't watch it. I'm like, I, I don't. I don't I, think I, I have, want to watch it again. I have, and did for this. Ugh. It's a bummer. It's such a bummer. Mm-hmm. But if you ever want to have some fun, though, watch the promo they cut about it, about how shitty the explosion was, and how it was like a sh- like a shitty Don Callis Canadian construction company who did it, because yeah. you know it was Kenny's plans. And them just goofing about it. And Eddie Kingston still selling. Yep. That he's afraid of pyro. Yeah. <laughs> like, like how how long ago was this? Like, this is like 10 months ago. This is January. He's yeah. been selling it for 10 months on every show he's on that has pyro on commentary. Like, he made it work. So it's okay. It's okay <laughs> to cry. Fine. All right. <laughs> we can I, cry at wrestling. <laughs> We've talked around it a little bit. I guess the question I've got, and I'll ask Joaquin, because Joaquin, you've been quiet to this point talking about the ending. I guess the the one question that has to be answered talking about this match is how much does the ending not working affect the broader match itself? Okay, so guys, 
I think Uh-oh. it was a Nietzsche. Oh no! Oh, oh that's right. God, I didn't. That's have right. To <laughs> Jeez. It said, "The end of a melody is not its goal, but nonetheless, had the melody not reached its end, it would not have reached its goal either." A parable. Listen, like at the end of the day, I think that people were very excited to have a field day with this. You know, it's, 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 if anything, this is one of the reasons that I wanted us to pick this match when you gave us all the selections. It's this, this match and this ending encapsulates so much about what makes AEW great. And it also encapsulates the things that, you know, maybe are the foibles of AEW. They take big swings, you know, and sometimes you fail on a big swing. And after that, they pivot, just like Frank had just mentioned. Like, to me, the ending of this match does not ruin everything that came before, because I still remember a match that is one of, like, the most exciting, best matches within the confines of this obstruction that is this gimmick. And there were still a lot of inventive spots. There were a lot of great little gimmicks. I mean, you know, I could talk forever about the uh, exploding bat and... And this is still a big moment for those guys. Like, it doesn't take away every moment in, you know, before this. And and, and again, we we here, we were talking about the story of the match. We got the thesis of it. We got what it was building to. And yeah. maybe it didn't it didn't get executed the way we wanted. But at the same time, move forward a few weeks. They are still telling the story that they wanted to tell. Eddie Kingston's fine. He just wrestled CM Punk at a paper. Got view. cheered. And got CM Punk booed and had yeah. the match of his fucking life. Like, Eddie Kingston was fine. Yeah. <laughs> this match is a great match in my memory. There's a moment after that's not a great moment in my memory. But I just, I choose not to focus on that. I mean, this is also just very indicative of what's wrong with sort of wrestling discourse or or, fan, or, or the discourse within fandom. You know, but that's a whole other podcast. Like, it just, it does not ruin it for me because uh, the the journey was still there. And, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, did we get to where we wanted to go on this trip? Did we get home? Yeah. Mm. The car's a little banged up. We got into a fender bender on the way. But we're here. We're all in one piece. It was a good ride. We had a good playlist on. I like this match. I love this match. And, and to speak to your point, when these two came out, against the Young Bucks at double or nothing with full crowds returning. The crowd was chanting as much for Eddie Kingston as they were for John Moxley, you know, That's chanting right. yeah. as much for this folk hero that had sort of come up as they were like the guy who had been positioned as the number one star in the company. And that's because even though this didn't necessarily hit in the end, the way they hoped it would, the effect still happened that they'd hoped it would. 100%. This is not the Shockmaster. And anybody who says that it is, is a, is a fuddy-duddy and mean. Do you, I, I guess that's my question. Do you guys think, I mean, obviously, we're all still here. We're all still watching. The, some of the discourse after the, the incident at the end of Revolution was essentially people were saying, like, I, I felt like I was lied to. I was sold this thing, and I didn't get it. And, there, you know, there's these people on Twitter being like, well, now I'm never going to get an AEW pay-per-view again. They lied to me. And. Like, do you do you oh, think that was just like that. in the moment take 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 mongering or do you think there were people who actually felt that way? Yeah, if I, they didn't, I, if they did, they got replaced because their two biggest pay per views were the two after this one. So that's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. I don't know, like Joaquin, like your boy, your boy Nietzsche. 
he might have been one of these people. There's a, a Nietzsche quote I'm looking at here. I'm not upset. Uh-huh. I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on I can't believe you. See, you oh, know that's good. Okay. I'm sure there are people out there who yeah. maybe felt like they were sold of a false bill of goods. I I don't feel that way. I'm just asking. Just asking questions here, guys. Just asking questions. Okay. We're part of the wrestling internet community, for better or worse. There are mm. people who are gonna be negative about everything. They'll find the worst part of anything. But if you're looking for payoffs to things that happen in professional wrestling. Where do you look other than AEW right now? Because even New Japan's having a lot of trouble paying off their big angles and True. making people happy. Like, they did the thing where they put the belt on Naito. That's, like, the last thing that they did that was, like, super satisfying to that fan base. AEW rewards you for watching all the time. WWE has a true disdain for people who want, it, like, this kind of, like, consistency <laughs> in storytelling and a third act in wrestling <laughs> like right like they hate it like wwe just wants to do act two until they stop like where do you go like if if this was like an unsatisfying payoff like how do you make good on that i i don't know by having the characters act consistently and all people involved going on to bigger and better things afterwards yeah N- nothing was taken away from me other right. than a fireworks show and you know what you know if you want to go see a ring blow up you can watch fmwe where the gimmick of every match is literally that the ring explodes. <laughs> right, right. I, I yeah, just hope I, people keep keep this in mind the next time, because it's going to happen. Eventually, AEW will under-deliver on something, and hopefully the world doesn't end and the internet doesn't explode when it happens, the way that it did yeah. back in February. Yeah, I mean, AEW has taken a lot of knocks for stuff like the Nightmare Collective or the original Dark Order, and, and, you know, weird comedy sketches, like, on TV. And, you know, they, they took their knocks for not delivering yeah. on things that people wanted. But they always make it right. And as a wrestling fan, all we have is time. Because, literally, we get to watch 52 weeks of this shit a year. So, if they decide that they want to make good on it, they generally do. Nightmare Collective, they were just like, well, we got to pull the, you know, we got to put this one in the can. But they sorted a few sketches online. To kind of, like, wrap up the angle. So I love those branding bits with her therapist. Those were excellent. Yeah, it was great stuff. It's like, oh, fuck, this didn't work. Let's try and creatively, like, write our way out of it. And they did that with this. Again, go watch that Mox and Eddie promo from the Dynamite after this. I'm sure the original mm-hmm. intention was for neither of those guys to be on TV for a sustained period of time. But yeah. they, and, they did great. And you mentioned the, the Mox and Eddie promo. Also, the Omega and Doug. The 69 me Don promo. Oh, right. God, oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Incredible yeah. promo. <laughs> yeah, there's a... How could you be mad? Like, honestly, we yeah. kind of got more juice out of it than we would have if the ring actually exploded. <laughs> Except for Eddie Kingston, who would have had the biggest moment of his career. Um, but, uh, you know... And also, I would, I would have cried I mean, real isn't tears. That, isn't that going to be, like, the story of Eddie Kingston's career, though? Like, he, he goes for the, you know, the biggest moment of his career and just, just misses by just a smidge. They're gonna put that T. They're gonna put that uh, TNT title on him. Like that's that's what's gonna happen. Or he's gonna the, win the belt. I hope belts. they put the AEW title on him. Oh, I would, I would, I would cry real tears. He made it at 38. Yeah. Like he got his first deal at 38. Like it's fucking incredible. Like I, I want to see Eddie get all of his flowers. But as we're seeing AEW, it's like you have you have, you have the time. So, yeah, we don't have to rush I, this. We can blow up the ring next year. 
I am going to have to to draw a bow on this at some point, guys. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you very much for for popping on. Did did you guys have anything else you'd like to say about this match before we we jump out? Ooh, um. um... Commentary for me is a real standout here. I'll just it really quickly. I, there, there's a little detail at the top of the match where they talk about how everyone that is near ringside has to wear flame retardant clothes. And I was like, that's one of those little details where clearly like Excalibur was like bored in his hotel and was like, what can I say to add to this match? And yeah. uh, there we go. Uh, there, There is a line very early on from commentary that at the time was true, but actually I think the opposite happened, which was like, Excalibur said Anita's career was shortened because of matches like this. I think this actual match extended Anita's career because he saw a yeah, bad explosion, that's... then saw that he could like roll around the world doing explosion matches again at the age of 62. <laughs> so this match would not. So the exploding barbed wire death match actually extended his career as opposed to shortened it. <laughs> oh, uh, Joaquin, little, anything little else to add before? I just, you know, I just we head lo- out? Yeah, I just, I love, and I've always loved that AEW wears this badge of, of of being sort of the people that are going to prop up the history of, of professional wrestling and, and whether that's sort of resurrecting this sort of niche genre gimmick match or or just even I mean that Kingston angle you know even though it didn't work out I mean that's a that's a that's a reference that's a reference to Onita and Funk you know they, right. they pay homage and they pay deference to to the past in a way that is creating future wrestling geeks and dorks and it's it's driving people to all these old tapes that you can find on daily motion now and and that's a great thing because the reason i love aew is is they roll with the new and and they do that with a with with a view towards the past as well And, and that's why i can see this this company being a sustainable option moving into the future excellent well look as i said Thank you so much, guys, for joining me today. I I love this match, uh, and I'm really glad we got to talk about it. When I laid out this podcast, this was actually one of the matches I wanted to most talk about and discuss because of how controversial it was, but because of how many redeeming qualities that I think a lot of people have forgotten. So thank you for digging into it with me. You can find the guys from This Is Awesome on Twitter at TIA Pod. Um, you can also search for their podcast, This Is Awesome. Um, I would thoroughly suggest you listen to that podcast. Um, as I said, I basically copied their format for this podcast here. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, if you enjoyed this today, definitely give them a listen. They they cover they deep dive into matches from all around the wrestling world. And you guys have got uh, some death matches in there. If you, you know, if rewatching Moxley and Omega's made you want to look at uh, some death matches, I'm sure you'll be able to find some in their podcast archive as well. Uh, and if yeah, you, you have know, enjoyed today. Holiday season, you know, watch the, watch the Christmas death match from big Japan. <laughs> there you go. It has a, it has a cake. A cake of, it does have a cake. A cake. Yeah, it does have a cake. <laughs> That's, Isn't it, that's the Merry Christmas for Deathmatch, I believe, Frank. Is that Merry right? Merry Christmas for Deathmatch. That's, that's the one. <laughs> Love it. Uh, if you if you have enjoyed the show today, uh, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review it uh, on your podcast app of choice on iTunes or on wherever you get your podcasts. And why not tell a friend? Why not tell someone else that loves wrestling to come and listen to the AEW Match Guide podcast? But thank you so much for being on here today, Frank, Joaquin, and Chuck. I really appreciate having you. And thank you for listening to us. See you next time. Thanks 
for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.